Welcome to the 34th episode of Dialogika, a podcast between true friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week, we have a special interview with award-winning freelance investigative journalist and all-around badass woman in the world of Indonesian journalism, Fabiana Firdaus. We're going to talk about her unique and not exactly straightforward path to investigative journalism, and as well as her current focus on investigating on the Papuan human rights violations. A topic which she wrote a groundbreaking piece on for Time Asia just a few months ago. Not only is Fabri an inspiration to all of us who's interested in truth and justice when it comes to addressing some of the darkest marks in Indonesia's history. We're also super lucky to call her a friend and a supporter of Dialogika, and we're so excited to share our conversation with you listeners. So without further ado, here's to it. So I first met Febri at a Jakarta feminist discussion group meetup at some point, I think. I actually don't really remember the first time I met her, but every time I've met her, she's been always working on some really cool story, and I've just been so amazed by what she's done in the last two years that I know her. And um, yeah, I've just really respected the hell out of her and what she's doing, and she's an inspiration to me as a wannabe journalist. So yeah. I first heard of Febri from Stephanie. Uh, because she first introduced Fabri to me as the host and producer of another podcast called Ingat Anamlima or Remember 65, which is a podcast about the 1965 genocide. And I really, you know, I've sort of like known of her name and of her work, but didn't really know her personally until we did this interview just a few months ago. And it was really cool to hear her story as well. And some of the incredible lengths in which she took to pursue the stories as a journalist and that's really inspiring for me who's not even pursuing journalism it's really still very inspiring Mm -hmm. Uh, one of her more recent pieces was for time asia uh, titled tragic forgotten place poverty and death in the indonesia's land of gold which she wrote about um, police shootings that happened in Papua. February's work on covering the human rights abuses as well as the stories that are happening in Papua right now has been recognized in various ways. You know, she's got scholarships and awards, one of which is the inaugural Pugao Award for Courage and Journalism, named after a late West Papuan journalist, editor, and activist, Octavianus Pugao. So she's really somebody who's committed to covering not just your regular news stories, but really about human rights abuses, about uh, many persecution to minorities, and it's really amazing the kind of dedication she has for her work. She's also now the co-editor of Suara Papua, or The Voice of Papua, which is a podcast and newsletter about local Papua stories. You guys should subscribe to it. Um, we'll provide links for sure. We'll give links to the newsletter that's more for foreign readers. It's in English. And there's a dual Indonesian local Papuan language podcast intended for Papuans themselves. Because if you're in Indonesia right now, there's a lot of Papuan-run newspapers and news sites that are actually blocked by the guises of our beautiful Indonesian laws on free speech. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. If you can't tell that. Ministry of Communications. 
Thank you, Internet Sehat. But so yeah, there's definitely a real problem of accessing news about Papua. If you're a foreign journalist, your access to Papua is very difficult. Our former guest, Kate Walton, who is a development aid worker, um, went to Timika in Papua and was followed around by police at some point because that's how strict security is if you are uh, Western, white, and um, not working in Freeport. She's not even a journalist too, right? Like she's not there to report a story and they're still following her as if she's a journalist. Yeah, she was working on women's health. Very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, Febri has one of the greatest journalistic network in Indonesia. She knows very cool people like the head of Densus 88, which is Indonesia's national intelligence agency, like the CIA, as well as even people in their terrorist circles. So she can tell she's definitely not afraid to find and seek out the most difficult sources in order to uncover truths and write about that so you know we talked with february at length about a lot of things and we don't want to spoil it anymore than we have to so i think we're just going to dive right into it and let you listeners enjoy the conversation do you know you want to be a journalist from a young age then or was it something you discovered when you were in school or anything like that I like to write a lot. Mm-hmm. I like Bahasa Indonesia. Yeah, that's good. And I like the writing part of Bahasa Indonesia. How you call it? Mengarang? I guess storytelling. Yes, yeah, storytelling. Yeah, that's my favorite because mm-hmm. uh, every time uh, I every time uh, I did the test on storytelling, I always get the best mm-hmm. mark on that. So that's why I said to my mom that, well, maybe I can be a writer or a journalist. And then she brought me my first uh, tape recorder. Oh, that's cool. It's a oh, Sony, that's so cute. Sony that you can record everyone. Yeah, I remember those. I, I practice my interview with my family, uh-huh. which is, it's annoy everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I asked them about everything, but mm-hmm. I, I was still in the... High school. I was still high in school? high school, and I annoy everyone in my family. <laughs> and I interviewed them, and I said, "I want to be a journalist, like in uh-huh. Al Jazeera." <laughs> yeah, and then it's the first time I saw the um, Al Jazeera in on the television. Yeah, and I'm, I was so excited. That's why I came up with the dream that I'm I'm not only want to be a journalist, but I want to write about Indonesian product international publication because yeah. it's different uh, if you read uh, the writing from the Indonesian mm-hmm. who has the experience uh, she was born here and then she wrote for Indonesians yeah. I know this already because me and Febri have talked before but I think what makes your work really special and interesting too is because you're an investigative journalist and uh, you really dig deep into those stories does that have anything to do with starting in Tempo and you know, could you talk a little bit about how you started as a journalist in Tempo? Oh yeah, this is a funny story actually. <laughs> the the how I get from Tempo to time. <laughs> At the first time I applied to Jawa Post newspaper mm-hmm. in Surabaya. Yeah. The headquarter in Surabaya. And I passed the test and I have two interns for three months. Mm-hmm. After the interns, they say, oh, this is the first refill also. <laughs> hey, you have no talent to be a journalist. After they used what? you for three months. Yeah, Jawa Post said that to me. And then 
I feel like my life was over. Oh. Everything was so dark that day. <laughs> I was in sure. Surabaya and I feel like, oh my God, I have no chance anymore mm-hmm. to be a journalist that I've been dreaming. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. can I write for the international publication if they say that I have no talents? The local newspaper said I have no talents, yeah. and I have no idea why I have no talents. <laughs> and then I try to apply again mm-hmm. to uh, another publication, and I got the Femina magazines. Oh, great. But I didn't write for Femina magazine. They have a special newspaper for the rich people in Kelapa Gading and Puri and I wrote for these rich people about culinary. What? For one year, I wrote about their activity and culinary. One year. <laughs> I have no talent. I will start from these culinary things. Everybody starts from somewhere. Yeah, it's okay. In the end, I will respect that experience. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I resigned. And I go back to my village mm-hmm. in Jember, and I told my mom that I'm not happy writing for the feminine. Yeah. And then after six months, I try to apply again, and I got interns in Intisari Magazine mm-hmm. in Compass Media. Yeah. And I was so happy writing for them mm-hmm. because it's a feature stuff, and it's my kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, when I work for them, I also apply to Tempo. Mm-hmm. So for six months, uh, I was writing for them and I was applying for Tempo and I got the job in Tempo. And then I start my adventure as a journalist in Tempo. Wow. Yeah, it's 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seven years ago. Yeah, I just graduated from the university 2007. So it takes three years to me to go to Tempo, to get the position in Tempo. Uh So at the first time in Tempo, I covered the Jakarta issue, right? Mm -hmm. For the first time, if a fire happened somewhere in West Jakarta. So the funny story that I never forget that uh, when I report the incidents, uh, the local people just throw uh, water to me. Why? Uh, they 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 don't mean it, but they just like gak sengaja. <laughs> <laughs> because I was in the middle of the fire. area of fire, and I'm I was so stupid. It's dangerous, but the the local people need to do that because the fire is getting bigger right yeah. i was in the middle of the building with the fire and then the local people just throw the the water the at water you. and then it's like air seloka oh like sewer water and it's like it's oh, so no. smelly <laughs> and i come back to my office and my editor was why are you so smelly and i said oh, i'm too excited to offer this fire you got too close yeah and then um after one year, I get promoted to the investigation department. Wow, which is and what Tempo is famous for. I'm the youngest among the the member of the investigation department. Was it mostly men, or was there women? Yeah, as, as only most... two women, female reporter. Wow. Uh, my senior and me, and then the other the rest is all men. How big is was the team? 
It's like 10. 10 people. Yeah, 10 people. So, 8 men versus 2 <laughs> women. <laughs> yeah, and then um, after 5 years, then I decide to take another leap fat by joining the Rappler. Oh, Rappler, yeah. yeah. Join the Rappler for one and a half year, and then I decide to be a freelance. But I also, when I decide to be a freelance, I have no idea how to start with it. <laughs> I have no contact of the editor, mm-hmm. but I'm going to attract them. <laughs> That's a good mindset. And you did. Yeah. By coincidence, time want to cover Terrace is and I make a good friends with the head of Dances Laman Lapan. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a long story. I, I cannot. <laughs> I cannot tell you why I make a friend with him. Basically I also make friend a friend with the terrorist friend. It's okay. <laughs> One of them, all of them are friends. And then this is the only chance that I can prove to time that I can give them the most difficult uh, shores mm-hmm. that I interview this uh, first female ISIS brigade in mm-hmm. Indonesia wow. and she is in a prison. and. A foreign journalist cannot enter the prison, right? Of course, yeah. So I said, uh, you have no choice. I'm the only one. You have the access. Yeah. And uh, I interview Dian Yulia, the mm-hmm. first ISIS female brigade in Indonesia who wants to bomb the palace. And the other things that I want to prove that the way I interview these terrorists so the editor in time can look at my work, how I interview these people that I, I actually can write for them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I send them my Q&A with the terrorists. Mm-hmm. And they're really, really interested in my interview. But I don't get my byline yet. Uh, you're working your way. You have to be patient with the media industry. Uh, nothing is like fair at all but it's a process jawab was told me i have no talents it's the industry yeah. the media told me about that mm-hmm. it's not about the journalist yeah. thing so i put them So before we get into our conversation deeper with February on what's happening in Papua right now, I think we need to kind of explain to our listeners about the history of the uh, Papua independence movement and how the Indonesian government has been suppressing it over the years. So when we grew up as little kids, we knew Papua as Irianjaya. Now it's been split up to two provinces, Papua Barat, or West Papua, and Papua, but collectively it's still known as Papua, which is... Maybe confusing. <laughs> anyway, uh, when Indonesia became independent in 1945, the Dutch actually kept control over Papua um, because it's resource rich and the Dutch likes those resources, trying to rebuild that country after World War II. Mm-hmm. But as a new nation, Indonesia, especially Sukarno, wanted to have all of the territories that were once considered the Dutch East Indies and also wanted the resources. 
And actually, you know, Papua is like by far the richest province in terms of resources and biodiversity in Indonesia. Like, not only does it have yeah, it, it has oil, natural gas, mineral deposits, and gold. Lots of gold. Like literally, gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in 1961, Indonesia invaded West Papua, and it wasn't until 1969, through the intervention of the UN, that the invasion stopped. And uh, what happened in 1969 was technically a plebiscite, which is a direct vote for freedom, where the Papuans to decide if they wanted to become an independent nation or stay within Indonesia. This was built literally as the act of free choice, air quote. But in fact, the vote was only cast by around a thousand men. Uh, and all elders, mostly of whom were picked by the Indonesian military, and supposedly there were, you know, there were guns in the voting stations. So the vote was rigged from the very beginning, and it's not surprising at all to anyone that these men voted to stay. And so, in 1969, Papua became a part of Indonesia. Since then, right, many Papuans have rejected the results of this vote, and a group of Papuan nationalists have banded together to form OPM or the Organisasi Papua Merdeka. Um, also known as the Free Papua Movement, as a organization trying to fight for Papuan independence. So OPM was first started in 1963 by a group who called themselves the West Papua Freedom Fighters. Um, they were intending to fight the Indonesian army, but their first actual constitution that was written up was in 1971. And they've been fighting ever since, essentially, but a lot of the more recent actions has happened in the last few years. They have never never really gave up on the idea of a free Papua. So the way the Indonesian military is laid out is there are bases around the country, even though, you know, we're not at war, but there are just bases in Papua. And Papua is one of the last regions that Indonesia has right now, which has a lot of conflict within within Indonesia itself. It used to be Aceh, it used to be East Timor. But this is one of the last regions where the army has skirmishes with OPM and actually has gunfights and all of these different things. But it, to think that they are a well-funded group of freedom fighters is definitely a misconception. They're definitely not well-funded. It's a lot of, a few number of guns um, in the forest. And, it, you know, and even within the people who are in the organization, there are divisions of those who want better treatment of a Papuan people and, you know, ratification of human rights abuses versus those who want to actually have their own country. Part of the military and Indonesian government strategy is to just all paint them under the same broad brush and saying, like, look, they're trying to, like, put away from Indonesia and we need to protect NKRI or national unity at whatever cost, you know. And that's something that's definitely cringeworthy. Because what's happening here is a slow motion, and I'm quoting from a report on the Papua situation, is that it's a slow motion genocide. And according to rights activists, more than 500,000 Papuans have been killed. Thousands more have been raped, tortured, and imprisoned by the Indonesian military since 1969. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, a lot of the people who are victims of this kind of brute force in terms of su suppression are not only people from the uh, OPM movement, but also journalists and activists and even peaceful protesters, right? Sometimes I feel like they're such a big... They're trying to divide us into thinking like, oh, Papuans are not the same as Indonesian citizens. They're trying to break away from us and it's bullshit. A big part of the Papuan population just wants the same rights and protections as Indonesian citizens instead of being treated as second-class citizens as they are right now. You know, they live in the most 
biodiverse and resource-rich province, but they don't see a single cent of it because it's all being mined and exploited by either the Indonesian government or foreigners, like the Freeport Mining Company. You know, it's they don't get any benefit from all the economic activity that's happening in Papua. Mm-hmm. So when February's piece came out for Time Asia in August of this year, it also allowed the story of what's happening in Papua to really spread beyond the regional audience. And you know, I read it and I saw a lot of feedback about it in America. You know, a lot of conversations started happening between various international communities. You know, people in America, people in Australia, people in um, the greater part of Asia. So her role in spreading the awareness. Um, about this story is, you know, we can't underestimate that. Yeah. So the latest update on that, and it's a developing story, and we're recording this as of October 3rd, is that um, there was a petition banned by the Indonesian government bearing the signature of supposedly 1.8 million West Papuans or 70% of the province's population that was supposedly presented to the UN with a demand of a free vote of independence. This was headed by Benny Wenda, an exiled West Papua independence campaigner. But so far, the UN has denied that they've received this documentation. The chairperson of the Decolonization Committee, Rafael Ramirez, said no petition has been accepted because it's not under the committee's mandate to take this. And they're supporting the Indonesian government on the fact that West Papua is a part of Indonesia and they're not taking this. This situation is still very live. It's going to change, I, I would assume, like in the next few days. But that's the latest. And uh, we'll be keeping tabs on what's happening in West Papua, even from the other side of the world. But here, back to Fabric. I, I read your time piece about Papua when I was in America. Okay. And, and that piece has really like traveled everywhere. Yes. Um, which is amazing because, you know, here in Indonesia, you don't hear a lot about Papua in general because of the government banning it. But in elsewhere, right, we also don't hear anything about Papua. So to have a story like that with an international publication like Time, that really helps spread the story about Papua to not only Indonesians, but also international, the international community. Yeah, I read also the comments from the Australian. Ah. They felt guilty because they are the neighbor and... One of the comments, I have no idea about this. I didn't know about this. They feel so sad. But that's the fact. I'm not glorifying the situation yeah. in Papua. That's what happened in Papua right exactly. now. That one of the Indonesian journalists told me that, Fabri, everything is fine in Papua. For you, for the Japanese. What? But for the Papuan people, they're suffering. Yeah. Right. I talked with some of the housewife there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say that um, they have no idea why the government sends more military troops there. Yeah. Right? But they cannot mingle with the military members. Right. Is Indonesia occupying or we are part of Indonesia? They are still like confused about Of course, that. yeah. Why they treat us right. like we are in the war area yeah. with the guns yeah. everywhere? We have no guns. Yeah. Why you have to wear this gun? The, the like rifle. You, yeah, yeah. Like you are in a war area. Mm-hmm. They're questioning me about that. They want to mingle with this military, but they can't sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they can't. They only can mingle if they, they drink together. <laughs> but it's only men, right? Yeah, it's only men. Men stuff. And then um, the other, I saw that the economy 
for the Papuan people is also so bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that the problem in Papua is not only about the infrastructure, but about that our government of Indonesia, they didn't build the humans, right. the people in Papua. They didn't even educate them properly. Yeah. And I'm curious why, and I'm, I feel like it's suspicious. Um, is that true that Indonesia let the Papuans... Uh, stay in a stagnant mm-hmm. like uh, don't make the Papuans more educated than this yeah so i feel like i don't know is it true or not but after five years i visit papua it's still the same mm-hmm. why why this is happen i have no idea why because you know the papua they give a lot of a lot to indonesia for example yeah, the and also for uh especially in the highland is like uh, we call it the land of gold one of the Papuan tell, told me about this is actually the land of gold uh-huh. but uh, why they yeah. never why why the government only explore the gold but they never give it back to us they never take care of the people yeah it's the land of gold but the people don't get the enough um, basic healthcare education anything yeah health service and then access on economy of course that's the thing, right? I've always thought that Papua is, without a doubt, probably the richest province in terms yes. of resources. I think, yeah, there's always the natural resource curse that happens even within Indonesia, right? Like, the more money there is, the more the elites want to exploit that and kind of figure out a way to rob certain population, especially minorities of the country, from the riches of their own land. So, uh, the basic principle that Indonesian has to understand, let the Papuans decide their own path. That's the first step. Because Papuans never voluntarily joins Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let the Papua decide, like in a referendum, do they want to be uh, a part of Indonesia like Aceh, but they have a special autonomy? Yeah. Or do they want the freedom? Mm-hmm. Actually, Indonesia has no right at all to, have to, to decide yeah. anything about Papua. Mm-hmm. Let the Papuan decide their own path. Also, if I talk about this, doesn't mean that I support the freedom of Papua. I support the Papuan to have a freedom expression right and freedom right to decide their own path. That makes sense. Everyone always accused me that I support the Free West Papua movement. It's not the only... It's, it's not the core of the arguments or uh, the article that I wrote for. Mm-hmm. I want the, Ar- the Papua to decide their yeah. own path. That's it. That That's I want the Indonesians to know about. That. If yeah. they want the freedom, of course, we will support. Mm-hmm. If they want to be part of Indonesia with a special autonomy, we also will support that. We have to let them make let that choice. Let them decide. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, let them decide. That's the thing, right? Like, I feel like reporting about Papua, it's always, at least when things are happening here, even if we just talk about Papua, mm-hmm. people are always like, oh, which side are you on? Yeah, this is not about yeah. taking it's not about a side. Exactly. My side is in the basic yeah. principle of the human rights value, freedom on expressions. Mm-hmm. That's part of the human rights thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We always promote diversity, but we didn't prove yet about we are diverse, right? Yeah. Um, this is the challenging for the uh, archipelago country. Mm-hmm. So we have yeah. to talk about the idea about the diverse of Indonesia or Bhinneka Tunggalika, not only in a concept 
are um, in um, our jargon of the nations, but mm-hmm. also the way we act in a daily life. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm curious about the Suara Papua yes. uh, podcast and newsletter. Uh-huh. So, what kind of um, stories or topics you think you will cover? Yeah, uh, for the podcast, we want to deliver the story about uh, what the foreign media cover about Papua first, uh-huh. and then so we want to connect the people in the high lines and also in the the other part of the Papua that is uh, very remote and uh, it's difficult to reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they don't know each other and they don't know what happens in the other yeah. uh, area. So we try to connect them by okay. putting a story in the podcast Bahasa Indonesia and the local language of Papua. Okay. Uh, for the newsletter, we focus on the story that a very local okay so we want we want to make sure that the foreign reader get the very exclusive in uh, information about what happened in the remote area mm-hmm. because we already have some volunteer so Swara Papua has not much money right mm-hmm. so we just open the volunteer everywhere in the Papua we are all volunteers and friends of Suara Papua. Yeah. So we, we want to make sure the reader the reader of the newsletter in English get all the information about what happened even in the remote area, especially in the hike line, because yeah. the hike line is unreachable. Yeah. That's why it takes two weeks to update the yeah. information because it's a hike line. And we guarantee that uh, the name will be secure right we will stay anonymous mm-hmm. only me and the chief editor Suara Papua going to public as usual I become a martyr <laughs> yeah it's okay uh, yeah. it's like yeah it's my daily life <laughs> but that's interesting right that means like this this project is as much about educating others like uh, the international community about Papua but yes. also Educating Papua about how the international yes, community so they them. feel not being left in the cold. Yeah. They're not alone in this. It will give yeah. uh, some s- spirit to the Papuan people, especially in the high clan that yeah. I meet them. They really like desperate with the situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so what's the best way for our listeners and all of us to support Suara Papua? Yeah. Um, uh, about the newsletter for the English reader. Yeah. About the newsletter, please read the newsletter to whoever that you meet and that you know that only speak in English or mm-hmm. can understand English. We aim to create the same atmosphere between the foreigns or reader in abroad and then the people in Papua. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a university or if you are even the office just uh, send them uh, the link of the subscription of our newsletter and tell them that this is important okay. mm-hmm. that, that's the only way to help them yeah. and then i think if we if we can successfully create the same atmosphere there will be something happens yeah. we have no idea what will happen 
we'll definitely you know provide links and other resources to yes for uh, Papua the newsletter uh, and we'll do our part in supporting yeah. your projects because we believe in the same things that you believe in yes Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us on these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!